Take your seats. All righty. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. My name is Ross, and I'm one of the pastors at the West Congregation of the Austin Stone, and it's always my tremendous joy and delight to be downtown with you like I am today. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We are still in our in-depth study of the Gospel of Matthew, and for the last few months, we have found ourselves enraptured, spellbound, by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's a, it's a collection of sayings that he would have said in his itinerant preaching ministry, and it's captured together in one sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. It takes about 20 minutes to read, and we're taking about half a year to teach through it. The reason for that is not that it is difficult to understand. It isn't at all. It's very difficult to believe and to apply, to be honest, because Jesus is revolutionary and countercultural in his teaching, and we have kind of domesticated the Lion of Judah and removed a lot of the power of his sayings. And so uh, we are taking our time going word by word, line by line, through these tremendous teachings of Jesus, because they are life-changing if you will just believe him, but that's taking us a little bit of time. So if you're new today and you'd like to catch up, why don't you go on the website or on the app, and you can go through uh, the Gospel of Matthew as we've been teaching through it, and as we will will be uh, continuing to do so for some time. We pick it up this morning in verse 25, and the rhythm will be that I'll read a bit and then talk a bit and then read a bit and talk a bit, and you'll get the flow as we go. Here we go, verse 25, Jesus speaking, therefore, I tell you, so I said I was gonna read a bit and talk a bit, let's pause so that I can talk a little bit there, and I promise you we will pick up the pace, but the rules of language dictate that we do need to stop there, because therefore is a linking word. It is an adverbial linkage to a previous concept. It relies on a previous premise um, before it gets to a practice of that premise. And so if you jump into anything and it says therefore, you really should be asking what is it therefore? What is the there that goes before the therefore that leads to this conclusion? That's just rules of common understanding of language. And so we'd be, um, we'd, it would be a dangerous practice to ignore those rules as we deal with the words of scripture. Well, what is the there that is before the therefore? Well, it's the text we looked at last week from verse 19. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's the principle. So Jesus uh, is saying something in light of something that he previously said or consequential to what he previously said. And what he previously said was his teaching about not being too connected to the treasures of this world. And so in his invitation to be citizens of his kingdom, to be followers of his way of life, he's saying, be careful, guard your heart against the things of this world and store up treasure for yourself in heaven. And because you have the possibility of investing your lives in heaven, and because you have the possibility of reaping the rewards that come from the security and certainty of that investment, because of that truth, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. That's a great 
warning to the people of Austin, right? It absorbs an inordinate amount of our time wondering what we will eat and drink, not because we're hungry or thirsty, but because we want to be insta-fabulous and keep up um, with all the hipster foodies of our city. And so we spend so much time wondering what we will eat or what we will drink, nor about your body. My goodness. So what's happened here? He said, do not store for yourselves treasures on this earth, which would have racked the brains. They would have been absolutely flummoxed from the people listening because they thought that was the sign of blessing of God, people who got a lot of treasures on this earth. He says, no, no, we invest in a future kingdom that's coming. And now he knows his listeners are going like, but then what do, what do I do about this earth? Uh, what do I do about what I'm gonna eat? What am I gonna drink? What about my body and its nourishment? Um, uh, what you will put on, he goes on to say. And then he asks this question. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now I know, I know. All this talk of anxiety is probably making you anxious. It certainly has done that for me this week as I've been uh, sitting in Colorado, supposed to be on vacation, and, and my wife Sue said, you're distracted. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling anxious. About what? My sermon on anxiety. Um, and she was like, that seems self-defeating. I was like, I know, um, and that makes me anxious too. Uh, and, so, and so pray for me, right? And so many of us here are going like, oh my goodness, he's gonna tell me, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. How can Jesus say that? That freaks me out. And for many of you, that is an all too familiar feeling, one that you hate. And right now, truth be told, you might be sitting here going, oh, I wish I hadn't come here this morning because church is the one place where I get to lay that anxiety down. Jesus is the one person that I get to go to and he not only understands my anxiety, he says it's okay and he nurtures me back to health. Now is the one person I felt understood by, is he condemning me for the anxiety that drives me towards him in the first place? So here's where we're gonna need to do a little bit of work so that we don't um, misunderstand our Lord in the room today. Firstly, we must acknowledge, friends, we must acknowledge that there is a difference and a big one between fleeting and controllable moments and even periods or eras of anxiety in our life and the more complex forms of crippling and chronic anxiety that would be classified by a professional as an anxiety disorder which requires medical intervention and treatment. Those two things are not the same. Everyone experiences anxiety to one extent or another. Not everyone has an anxiety disorder, but both of those things exist and we need to acknowledge that. We must acknowledge that the church has not done a good job of understanding that or even trying to understand that and we have hurt some people, no, many people as a result of our lack of understanding. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you've had a diagnosis of an anxiety disorder or you feel you may have that, this is not us just condemning you again this morning. This is Jesus offering you an invitation to walk into the life of the kingdom where there's reprieve and rest, even for someone with the wrestles that you have. Secondly, we must understand that Christianity is an embodied faith. It's an embodied faith. It is spiritual and it is physical and we wrestle both of those realities. I love that the core message of Christianity is not like, okay guys, so now you need to escape this body so that you can get to a high spiritual plane and then everything will be fantastic. That'll be great. No, the central message of Christianity is that the spiritual came and took on the physical. 
that Jesus himself came and took on flesh. It's a meat and flesh religion. Even when we escape this earth, friends, when we'll go to be in heaven, you know what you will have in heaven, we're told? A body. Now, I know that's distressing for some of you, but it'll be a glorified body. I can't wait. My dad bod's gonna be gone, um, and I'm gonna get a heavenly body that can process lactose and gluten um, and everything that is super yummy and tasty without going into some kind of system shutdown. But I'm not gonna be Casper the Friendly Ghost wandering around under a sheet, just a spirit being for the rest of all time. I'm getting a body in the new heavens and the new earth. Christianity is spiritual, and physical, and so listen, we must be cautious to dismiss physical realities with just spiritual solutions. So we must be careful when we say to people, oh, you're anxious, you obviously aren't praying. Now it might be true, it often is actually, but we must be cautious to offer that diagnosis to people, and listen, because I think the pendulum is swinging rapidly, all too rapidly in the opposite direction. We must be cautious to give in to just purely physical realities without considering the spiritual realities that scripture reminds us of time and time again. And so equally, we can't go to someone and say, oh, you're anxious, you obviously have a physiological disorder and you just need some meds. Jesus deals with both. We must wrestle with both. And the word that Jesus uses here for anxiety is not specifically around a prolonged and chronic disorder. The word that Jesus uses here for anxiety literally means to have an anxious concern based on apprehension or fear about possible future danger or misfortune. An anxious concern based on apprehension or fear about possible future danger or misfortune. It is looking into the future and playing out scenarios in your head, usually bad, scenarios that you cannot control, and then allowing those pretend mythical future scenarios to have a physiological effect upon your present. And so I have a crude but concise proposed definition of the type of anxiety that Jesus is addressing in the text, and here, is it, here it is. Anxiety is the experience of having fears of an unknown future disrupt the possibility of peace, joy, and contentment in the present. It's having fears of an unknown future and allowing those fears to disrupt the possibility of peace and joy and contentment in the present. Now again, friends, I know, right? I know some of you are smart, you've got more degrees than Fahrenheit, you're super switched on, you're going, actually there's a different clinical diagnostic definition, and I know, I understand and appreciate the DSM-4, the measure through which these things are diagnosed. Um, they would have measurables around duration and intensity um, and the level of experienced anxiety, and a medical professional can help with that. But even the diagnosed disorder usually begins with this base element definition, a fear of the future that disrupts the peace of the present. And I confess that I give into that a lot. So this is a safe space across all the congregations today. I'm probably with seven and a half thousand of my closest friends. Um, so let's just have a little therapy session here. I, I've realized as I've got older that anxiety has been an almost constant wrestle for me. 
And while I have had seasons in my life of it becoming crippling to an extent that I probably ought to have sought out some medical attention, by God's grace, most of the time for me, it has just been a mind and soul battle of choosing, I would choose to do this, choosing to dwell in a bunch of bad what-if scenarios and outcomes that I couldn't possibly control anyway. I would give in to the thoughts that God won't have my back and that he won't provide what I need. And then I would allow that narrative and its resultant scenarios to swarm uncontrolled in my mind and in my heart. And Jesus says, don't do that. If you want life and life to the fullest in the kingdom, don't do that. Stop it, stop those thoughts, arrest them, fight them with faith and fight them with truth. It's been so liberating for me to even just speak it out and say this is a wrestle for me, a massive fight. I have a good friend called Kevin, who also happens to be my boss. Um, and I, I met him a few years ago in London, and he's the exact opposite person of me. It's like if you took me and turned me inside out, that's him. Um, maybe even in looks as well. Um, but uh, I first met him, I said, like, I don't like this guy, and I think we're gonna be besties. And that's literally been our scenario. Now, because he's my boss, I submit a weekly report to him called the 15-5. Now, 15-5 is just a little online thing you do. It takes 15 minutes to fill in, five minutes to review. Um, and so every week I fill this in. And it always starts with this first question, how are you feeling? ranked on a system of one to five, right? Now I've learned that Americans, five is an option because everything is awesome with you guys. I love the optimism. For me, five, there'll only be one 15 five I ever submit and that'll be on my way out the door the day Jesus returns, okay? That is awesome. Everything else four and down is an option. But three is solid, right? Like that's pretty good week, three. Two, you probably need to call someone, um, but, but three is good, and so I would submit a bunch of threes, and he would, he would call up our counseling center and say, I need you guys on standby. We're having a meltdown of one of our staff members, and I've flown him all the way from South Africa, and I'm very worried it's gonna be expensive to return him, so can you fix him? Um, and, so, and so he would probe with questions of like, well, why? And, and my standard answer would be like, I'm fighting a little bit of anxiety this week, and so he would press with well, why? Because he's a good friend. And so he would try to get some answers out of me. And so over weeks, I would fill in the things that I was wrestling with. And then we sat in my annual review and, and, and he summarized some of his findings. He's a, a really good friend who, who wants to understand me. And he said, so, so let, me, let, let me get this straight. He says, it makes you anxious to think about having to be around a lot of people. I said, yes, that's, that's very true. He said, you, you do know your basic job description, right? I was like, yeah, yes, I do, and that makes me anxious too. He says, but also, it makes you anxious to think that you'll be left on your own. I said, yes, no, the thought of being alone makes me very anxious. He was like, so, so what is it? I was like, I wanna be on my own, just in a small group of people. Um, that, that doesn't make me anxious, but anything either side of that makes me tremendously anxious. He said, it makes you anxious when you think you have too much to do. I said, yes, that, that makes me very anxious. He said, but it also makes you anxious when you think you won't have enough to do in order to justify your existence around you. I said, oh, terribly afraid of that. He said, uh, you're anxious that you won't be able to provide for your family. I said, yes, it keeps me up at night. He said, but you're also really anxious that you'll be someone who pursues mammon over the kingdom of God and appears to have too many possessions. I said, yes, I don't wanna be a camel that can't fit through the eye of a needle. That does make me anxious. Thanks for reminding me of that. I need to go home and sell some stuff. <laughs> he said, seriously, th this is your experience? I said, yes, to all of those things. And because he's a good friend, here's the response that he gave me. He looked at me in the eyes and he said, man, it sucks to be you. Um, 
And I said, well, it does some days, but I, I prefer to think it sucks to be married to me. Um, and so I pray for my wife who has to deal with this hot mess um, of, uh, of a man. Added to that, the things that I have used to numb anxiety, I have learned to make it significantly worse. And so I became something of a social media addict because I thought it would numb my anxiety. But it turns out, uh, constantly reminding yourself of how much better everyone is doing than you at life um, doesn't actually make you feel better, it makes you feel worse. And so I thought mindless entertainment uh, would make me feel better, and so I watched everything that Netflix had to offer, and then I realized, my goodness, I shouldn't have watched 90% um, of what Netflix had to offer, and now I'd wasted a bunch of time, which means now I have too much work to do, which makes me extremely anxious. And so even the things that I was using to numb my pain were actually turning back on me. And unchecked, this would have gone on into a cycle of anxious thinking that I think would have landed me in some big trouble. Jesus is saying in this text, oh, you will experience anxiety, but don't just give in to that sort of thinking. There's actually antidotes to that sort of thinking. Uh, Don't think that this anxiety should keep you from living for the kingdom. You should live for the kingdom and there's ways that you do that. You see, part of living in the kingdom and faithfully for the king in the kingdom is allowing the spiritual realities of heaven to shape the physical experiences of earth. We, we, we looked at it in the Lord's Prayer, as above, so below, allowing the realities of what is happening in heaven, in heaven to shape the insecurities and anxieties that we experience on earth. It is flipping the scenario of us allowing the fear of the future to ruin the joy of the present by doing what Corrie ten Boom said, which is to trust an unknown future to a known God. (laughs) To say, oh, I can't control the future, I can't control any of those scenarios, but I do know the God of the future and the God of the present, and so I choose to view those future scenarios through his nature, and that quietens my spirit as I do that. And so, obeying Jesus in this space is to live a countercultural, kingdom-focused life where we don't try to control the uncontrollable and we don't try to know the unknowable. Is not life more than food and clothing? Jesus asked. Is it not also about the spiritual realities that we cannot see? Is it not about trusting in the treasures of heaven and the realities of the nature of the God who resides in heaven? All right, how? Some of you are going like, yeah, Sure, how? Well, Jesus is so practical, I love this. I can picture the scene, he does this all the time. He gives this big theological mic drop, right? This massive moment, and then he looks at his dumbfounded disciples going like, did you catch that? I, did, I didn't catch, I didn't catch that. Did you catch, I didn't, I didn't get it. Peter's like, I think I got it. And he's like, you don't got it, right? Okay, so <laughs> he then goes to a very practical example of how to put this into place. And what happens? I think probably some swallows sweep past and Jesus says this, verse 26, look at the birds of the air, right? He gets really practical in their everyday understanding. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span? of life. Okay, the first antidote to anxiety that Jesus gives us is this one. He says, you have to know your value in Christ so that you can work without giving in to worry. You have to know your value in Christ so that you can work 
without giving in to worry. Now, I'm not an ornithologist of any sort of a claim, but Jesus tells me to look at the birds of the air, and so I've been doing that, like some crazed lunatic in my neighborhood. I've been sitting in our garden and studying these little feathered creatures that come to and fro, and when Sue says, what are you doing? I said, I'm obeying the Bible, right? It says, look at the birds, and so I've been looking at the birds. Um, And you know what I've learned? You know what birds aren't? They aren't lazy. They really aren't. This isn't a call to passivity. Go watch some hummingbirds. Those suckers flap their wings like a million times in a few minutes. It's unbelievable, and so much so that they have to drink sugar water like every 30 seconds. It's the weirdest nutrition plan ever, Um, but it's working so well for them. How many pull-ups did you do today? Million. What's your nutrition plan? Sugar water. How's it going? Excellent. Okay, and so they're just constantly at it. And so birds work. And so the scripture isn't saying, hey, just chillax. Don't worry about it. It'll all work out in the end. The scripture's still saying, no, no, you work at your life. But look at the birds. You know what they don't do? They don't worry. They don't worry their little bird brains to death about whether their work will be significant in the world. They just do it. And they don't think about tomorrow. And yet God takes care of them. And here's the question. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus asks us a question. It's a massive question when dealing with anxious thoughts. Do you think you have significant value in God's eyes? When we don't, we have all the base ingredients in our heart to just bubble up so many anxious thoughts. If you believe God doesn't care for you, oh my goodness, it's so easy to be anxious. Tougher when we base it on the fact that it says, no, no, he really cares for me. Do you believe he will provide? Do you believe he will make a way? Do you believe he will stay close to you even to the end of the age? Do you believe that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes? We fight with faith. I love the way Eugene Peterson translated this verse. Look at what he said. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. Then look at this phrase. I love this. This is when an artist gets involved in biblical translation. Careless in the care of God. And you count far more to him than birds. Careless in the care of God. Choosing God's care for you is the lens through which you view all the things you face. Not always easy but very helpful in the fight against anxiety. You might go like, Ross, I don't actually believe God does care for me. How would I know that he cares for me? Well, this Jesus who teaches this message gave his life for you, for us, thus proving are you not of more value than the birds? Sometimes we just have to anchor ourselves into something solid and the cross of Jesus is about as solid as it gets when it comes to the care of God for his children. This is a side note, but my mind wandered this week in my prep about this notion of us not being cared for and how it leads to anxiety. My my mind went to the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10. And it says Martha was anxious with much activity. She was so busy trying to, trying to do things to impress Jesus. And the heart of her anxiety lay a question. She, she eventually answers it. She says, Lord, do you not care? thought about the story of Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4, 
The disciples were full of anxiety, thinking their lives were coming to an end, and when they wake Jesus, what's the first question from their mouths? Master, do you not care? Peter addresses this in 1 Peter 5 when he says, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Are you not of more value than the birds? Verse 28. All right, so consider them and know your value. Verse 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Second principle is this. You must know God's creative kindness and God's creative genius so you can have faith to flower where you are planted. Understand that God is creatively kind in the making of all things, including you. Now again, I am no botanist, but Jesus tells us to consider the flowers of the field. And so I have been. You can come around to my neighborhood and find me sitting on a bench in my front yard looking at flowers, right? And people are like, what is up with that guy? I'm like, I'm middle-aged and I'm suburban. This is what I do. I care about this stuff now and I get off my lawn. Ah, man. So I'm sitting looking at the flowers and, and they're amazing things to consider. One of the things we've loved about living in Texas is the abundance of wildflowers. And these are the kind of flowers, really, that Jesus called us to consider. They are remarkable. They express the creativity and ingenuity of God. And they put his glorious grace on display across vast fields of otherwise ordinary, albeit highly energetic, allergenic, as I've discovered, grass. Um, their lives, though, are like ours. They're fleeting and sown into a field of seemingly random ordinariness. And yet they are distinct and beautiful, and all they have to do is reflect that beauty as long as their creator needs them. I mean, I love what God does with blue bonnets. I mean, it seems almost unnecessary, but he's like, hey, Texans, check this out. You're like, wow, that's amazing. He's like, don't go too close, it's full of snakes. But uh, <laughs> look at it, it's amazing, it's the fall, right? In heaven, you'll have blue bonnets uh, without snakes, and so uh, it'll be a good thing. But he just does it to show off. Why? He's just showing his glory in the midst of ordinariness. And then he says, consider them. They are created with such beauty by their creator that they don't have to worry about making themselves beautiful in others' eyes. So far as we can tell, and we have limited data because it's very difficult to interview a blue bonnet, but they don't seem to compete with one another. The blue ones don't envy the orange ones, so far as we can tell. The pink ones don't feel less any, uh, any less due to the magnificence of the yellow ones. They are content to reflect the glory of God and to play their part and then to be done. Jesus links his listeners' refusal to live like this with this level of contentment with a lack of faith. Faith, friends, is such an important basic ingredient for pleasing God in the scriptures. We mustn't lose it. It brings God joy right throughout the, 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 the narrative of the Bible when people have faith and it brings him distress when it is lacking. So what do we need to have faith in here? Because Jesus says, having a lack of contentment is a lack of faith. Oh, you of little faith, he says. I am utterly persuaded that one of the most powerful areas of faith we could have in our context is the faith to be content with who God made us. The faith to be content with what he has chosen to give us. And the faith to be content in the situations in which he has placed us. This isn't passivity, 
This isn't sinful refusal to change. Rather, it is a faithful contentment acknowledging God's creative genius in making you, you, and putting you where you are, and giving you the things he has currently given you, and listen, withholding from you the things he is currently withholding from you. It's his creative genius on display, and faith in that leads to contentment. A lot, listen, not all, but a lot, of my anxiety is actually rooted deeply in faithlessness. That's the sin. In the thought processes that says that God doesn't care for me. And in the thought processes that say God won't clothe me and use me for his glory. You okay? Consider. Consider the birds. Consider the flowers. Lastly, he goes on, therefore, verse 31. Now, what did we say? You've got to look what's before the therefore. Well, because we have more value than the birds and because God clothes us with all we need to glorify him, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Don't you love that phrase? I'm so glad that's there. He doesn't say, don't be anxious over what you will eat, drink, or wear, because all that stuff's wicked. You know what you should drink? Water. You know what you should eat? dry bread. You know what you should wear? A friar's robe. You deserve it, right? You're terrible. Now, what does he say? I know you need those things. I made those things. I I know you need them. Rest in that. Uh, Have joy in that. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And look, all these things will be added to you. I know what you need. I'm going to give them to you. But if you want contentment, if you want joy, seek my kingdom first. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Amen? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lastly, okay, so know your value, know God's creative kindness, third one, know your ultimate purpose, which is seeking the kingdom of God first. Why? So you can tackle today's troubles without getting crippled tomorrows. Jesus gave us clear and stark warnings about anxiety. Firstly, he said it's absolutely ineffective at making you feel better or more in control. Have you noticed that? Many of us give in to anxious thoughts because we think it's going to make us feel better and it makes us feel worse. He says, which of you by being anxious can add a single day to his life? None of you. You can't do it. You can't do it. Secondly, <laughs> and, and this is, you're going to feel like, well, thanks for nothing, Jesus. He says, the troubles that lead to anxiety will keep coming. Today, it's gonna have plenty of troubles. Tomorrow, lots. Tuesday, well they don't call it trouble-filled Tuesday for nothing, right? It's, it's gonna be full of troubles. Every day is gonna have its own set of troubles. Um, your job is to fight them each day with faith. I found this great, remarkable quote from a sermon preached by Alexander McLaren. Um, the first line of this quote has been attributed for nearly 100 years to Charles Haddon Spurgeon, and he never said it. Actually, he did say it, but he didn't properly annotate it um, with a footnote, and so people say he said it when he actually said, someone said, without saying Alexander McLaren said. And I can't help but picture these two great preachers sitting in heaven every time this quote gets uh, accredited to Charles Haddon Spurgeon McLaren going, you see, footnotes matter, Chuck. Seriously, um, do, do your job. Uh, and so uh, Alexander McLaren said this. Charles Haddon Spurgeon quoted it without naming his source. And forever more people have thought that Spurgeon said it. But here it is. It's beautiful. It's long. But listen. What does your anxiety do? It does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, 
but oh, it empties today of its strength. It does not make you escape the evil, it makes you unfit to cope with it when it comes. It does not bless tomorrow and it robs today. For every day has its own burden. Sufficient for each day is the evil which properly belongs to it. Do not add tomorrows to today's. Do not drag the future into the present. The present has enough to do with its own proper concerns. We have always strength to bear the evil when it comes. We have not strength to bear the foreboding of it. As thy day, so thy strength shall be. In strict proportion to the existing exigencies will be the God-given power. But if you cram and condense today's sorrows by experience and tomorrow's sorrows by anticipation into the narrow round of the 124 hours, there is no promise that as that day thy strength shall be. God gives us power to bear all the sorrows of his making, but he does not give us power to bear the sorrows of our own making, which the anticipation of sorrow most assuredly is. Every day is gonna have its own allocated burdens. Don't pile tomorrows upon today's, okay? So we're gonna to need to fight against it as I close. How? Well, Jesus said, by seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, how do you actually do this? Well, I think Paul got really practical when he wrote to the Philippians about anxiety and actually gave them a step-by-step system through which they can do this. Now, I know some of you are gonna roll the eyes of your heart as I speak to you about scripture and prayer being the solutions to the complexity of your anxiety, but I promise you this helps. I was 17 years old and at a student's camp, I was in, uh, I was in my matriculant year, I think you guys call that senior year of high school, so last year of high school, and I'd broken my femur um, in two places and it had ended any hopes of a sporting career that I still foolishly hung on to. Um, could have made it if I'd been significantly better. Um, but uh, I was distraught, and a girl had broken up with me, and that also made me distraught, and I was 17, so that made me distraught. And I was at this um, uh, youth camp, and it's the first time in my life I can remember feeling overwhelming anxiety to the point of sweating, heart palpitations, really struggling to get, pull myself towards myself and bordering on panic attack kind of anxiety. And one of the youth leaders came and sat down next to me and he put a Bible between us and I'm telling you, I just wanted to clout this, this chap because I was like, that's not the, I'm, ser- I'm dying. That's not what I need right now. And he opened up Philippians 4 verse 4. I'd grown up in church, I knew this verse, I knew this text. And he was like, hey, when you feel like this, write it down and then go to God and tell him and follow through this process. I was like, you're an idiot, but okay. (laughs) And I'm 17, so I don't know anything about anything, so I'll do whatever. Would Jesus give me a girlfriend? No? Okay, well, I'll try anyway. Um, But I've been doing that often, and my journal's still filled with anxious prayers where I take Philippians 4.4 back to the Lord, and I say, quieten my heart, please be stilled, my distressed heart, Lord, speak. Here's what Paul says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Some of them are like, always? He's like, say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That can also be your gentleness, but it's a rational, reasonable way of thinking. It's not just running after your thoughts. No, no, you're actually thinking it through. You're fighting lies with truth. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, a prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Just four things there quickly. If you're wrestling with anxiety, you want to seek the kingdom first. Rejoice in the Lord. You might go like, I don't feel like rejoicing. Well, don't rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. In his mercy, in his kindness, in his grace, in the righteousness that he chooses to give you, even though you have none of your own, there's always something to rejoice when you rejoice in when you rejoice in the Lord. We're going to do some of that as we close this morning. We're going to sing, and that's rejoicing in the Lord. We're saying stuff about him that's true. We're choosing to look above our circumstances to say, yet I can rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, run quickly to prayer. He says, make your requests through prayers and supplications, make your requests known to God. It's very difficult to fret over something and pray about it at the same time. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Because prayer gives you two big reminders. The first is you are not God, <laughs> and that, squ- that squashes your anxiety. Oof. Secondly, God is God, and that squashes your anxiety. That's why prayer is such a great antidote. It's not a fix-all, it's a great antidote, though. You run quickly to him, you acknowledge, I don't actually control the future. <laughs> oh, that's good news. And you do. <laughs> Brilliant. And what does that lead to? Rejoicing in the Lord, right? And so this thing is very helpful. Thirdly, remember Thanksgiving. He says, through prayer and supplication with Thanksgiving. Thank God for his kindness towards you. Sometimes in order to face what's in front of you, you need to look back at what's behind you and see the faithfulness of God through your life and thank him for his goodness and for his kindness. It's difficult, difficult to be deeply anxious and deeply thankful at the same time. It's not impossible but it's difficult. And lastly, let the peace of God stand guard over your heart. He says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The language there is like a guard standing at a door. He offers that to us. You know what the problem is? We keep inviting all of our foes past the guard. No, don't worry, he can come in. No, 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 he's fine, he's fine. We've got this offer of the Holy Spirit standing guard for us, giving this peace that we can't even explain. Why are you full of peace? I don't know. It's the peace of God. I've seen this in families walking through the deepest trial. People go like, they seem at peace. Are they in denial? No, it's the promise of scripture at play in their lives. But it requires that we fight with faith. Okay, we're gonna practice what we have learned. We're gonna spend a moment today not allowing the anxieties of tomorrow to rob us of the joys of today. We're gonna sing as we do that. We're rejoicing in the Lord. We're gonna run quickly to pray. You can pray in your seats. Otherwise, at the end of service, there'll be people down here in the front who would love to pray with you. In fact, while we sing, I'll come down here and if there's any other leaders in the room who would be happy to do this, it'll be a record. We won't be able to hear you, but God can hear you, right? While we sing, I'll happily stand down here and if you wanna respond by, by asking for prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Love to. we're gonna confess our need of God and we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts and minds. Consider the birds. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the flowers. Is God's creative genius not on display in you? Seek first the kingdom. And all these things, friends, all these things will be added to you. Father God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would help us to believe your word. I I confess a pattern in my life of anxious thoughts rooted in faithlessness 
rooted in a lack of understanding of your character, a lack of belief in your goodness, a lack of trust in your kindness towards me. I confess, Father, that many times I've read the verse asking, are you not of more value than they, and me coming to the conclusion, no, I'm not. Oh, help us to see. Help us to see how you see us. And then bring us, please God, a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for those in the room who are really, really tired. Tired of the fight. I pray that you would stand guard for them today. And they would get to just enjoy you, to feel your pleasure, to feel your love. And that for today, I don't know about tomorrow, <laughs> but for today, they would just get to feel your peace. Why don't you do that through your Holy Spirit? We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.